Father, we praise you as God for us. Lord Jesus, we praise you as God with us. And Holy Spirit, we praise you as God within us. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. The only announcement I have this morning is that we are continuing to make decisions based on prayer and the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and so we're asking that you would listen patiently and attentively as we continue to make announcements as we figure out what next steps are for this community, for this church. Um, at this point, I want to transition us and ask you to join with me is, as we ask the Holy Spirit to shine light in our hearts, to shine light on His Word uh, as we hear a sermon this morning from Isaiah chapter 41. So join your hearts with these words in a prayer of illumination. God of peace, sanctify us in the gospel of grace through the preaching of Your Word that by Your Spirit we might be kept blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is God's word. Well, good morning, New City. This is a first for me, for sure. Uh, and it's a first for us as a church to gather, well, I guess to scatter gatheredly uh, over, over the internet. So I may, I'm going to be looking at you, I'm looking at a camera, also, of course, Ben's over here and Aaron's back there, and so I may be looking, if I look this way, if I look this way, be concerned because no one's over there. If I look this way, that's who I'm looking at, okay, so you might want to grab your Bibles. We don't have a worship guide today, and we're actually going to be walking through a couple of passages in Isaiah, starting with chapter 41, uh, verses 8 through 10 that Ben just read. And as you're grabbing your Bibles, I, I want to start here. I've realized in the last 48 hours that in a time like this as a preacher, my desire and even the expectation that I have on myself is to say something super insightful, uh, to offer you a hot take that you haven't heard yet, which would be impossible since I know many of you uh, are reading hours a day about what's happening. So I can't do that. And in fact, what the Lord reminded me of yesterday was that that's not my job right now. Uh, my job isn't to offer you a new hot take on how to be the church uh, in this moment, but rather I quickly realized that my role as a pastor right now is to point us to the basic bedrock truths of who God is and what he's promised to us. And they're so basic, they can sound overused or even of little help. But nevertheless, let's say them. Uh, those truths are God is with us and God is in control. And that's challenging in the midst of fear. As one Bible commentary helpfully says, the language of fear is used most frequently in the Bible to refer to that fear which is resulting from circumstances. 
And often the circumstances are adverse, of course. So a couple of examples would be when Mary becomes pregnant. That is a circumstance that affects her life, a lot, her life in a way that she wasn't prepared for and that caused adversity in her life. And when the angel comes, it notes that Mary is afraid, and yet the angel says, do not be afraid. Those in, uh, that the writer of the Hebrews is writing to in Hebrews 2 uh, says that they live in the, the shadow of death, but they're not to be afraid. And so I think what this says is that fear is a normal human response. And when we see the scripture, in the scripture, when the angel or whoever comes to a person who's afraid because of a circumstance, the fear is not dismissed. The fear is not denied. Uh, But yet the person, whoever the angel is talking to, whoever the prophet is talking to, the fear is not denied, but the angel says, don't dwell upon it. Uh, Don't dwell upon your circumstance, but let your circumstance cause you to dwell upon the one who's in control of your circumstance. And moreover, moreover, fear is often set in the context of God's overarching plan, of God's overarching purpose, and it always points to God's overarching power. And so in that definition, unexpected events, that phrase, I think that we can all uh, resonate with that. Sounds familiar, right? Uh, We all have fear matrices, I've heard it said. In other words, we all have a list of things happening in our mind that we think, yeah, we should be afraid of that. My guess is a a month ago, most of us had never heard of coronavirus, and I'm sure that some pandemic infectious disease was not uh, in our fear matrices. We have this bubble of control, at least a perception of this bubble of control. And so I know that um, as we weigh all of the things that we ought to be worried about in life, now this has forced its way into our conscious mind, right? So I would think in times like this, what I've recognized with myself and what I would ask you to think about is it can be easy in times like this, to deal with our fear by reinforcing our idols instead of resting in our Savior. And I've even experienced that over the last few days. I find myself instinctively reinforcing my idols instead of resting in the Lord. So what would the idols be, or how would they present themselves for some of us? I think for some of us, we rest in our over-preparedness. So we think about all the ways in which we're squared away even to be quarantined for three weeks or something like that. And uh, that's a good thing, uh, probably and possibly, but nevertheless, if it becomes our sole security, we've made it an idol. Ben mentioned this earlier, but some of us comfort ourselves with our logic and disconnectedness, and we hide in that idol. We're so used to over-rationalizing something and making people who are afraid feel small. And we, what happens here is we subtly take a dig at those who think this is a big deal. Now, I think that that's probably getting harder and harder. Uh, You're either moving away from that as this is no big deal or you're digging in your heels, uh, both of which can be an idol. For some of us, it's comfort, right? We distract ourselves using comfort or even we distract ourselves by trying to gain control through creating some common enemy, Right? We, we want to gain control by creating an enemy that we can blame in order to bring coherence to our fear. So, for example, xenophobia and race-based slurs and attacks against Asian people has some, is something that's happening frequently. Or pockets of places where if there is like 
a Jewish community or an Asian community, and of course, this disease coming out of Asia, these are some places, these are some groups of people that some of us may feel tempted to objectify, uh, to attack because of our fear. Some of us even will attack governments of the world for not reacting faster uh, because it makes us feel more secure by being angry about something. And while there are things we will learn as a society about our vulnerability to these sorts of things, I want to speak for a few minutes today about what it does look like, though, not to reinforce our idols, but to rest in the Lord in the midst of our fear. And so I want to point us to three basic truths that must be our moorings in all of life and maybe acutely in times like this. So I'm going to be walking through quickly Isaiah chapters 41 through 46. I'm just going to dive in a couple of passages throughout these, this chapter range. And basically in chapters 41 through 46, what we see in Isaiah is a long and pieced together court case in which the Lord brings his case against idols. And in this section, he repeats truths like idolatry is foolish. Idols can't tell the future. Uh, only I, as Yahweh, can tell you what's going to happen. Uh, my people are my servants, and they're to be my witnesses. And God says he's the only one capable of redemption. And it's very clear that redemption is only possible through unmerited grace. So the first place we're going to go is the passage that Ben read, which is Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. And here the bedrock truth I want to point out is the Lord is our strength. So if we look at 41, 8 through 10, uh, we'll get there in a second. Right above that in 5 through 7, what we see is the Lord is bringing a nation uh, that all the other nations fear. He's, he's bringing an enemy to sweep through from east to west, coming down into where God's people are. And he's pointing that out. And he's saying it's such a big deal that it's not just Israel who should be afraid, but it's all of the nations. And in verse 5, he says, The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They've drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. Now, that sounds like a good thing. Right? But in fact, it's not a good thing because what the prophet is pointing out is that when these nations see this thing that they should be afraid of, this larger nation coming through, what they're actually doing is they're turning to one another saying, let's strengthen our idols. Let's build new idols for ourselves. And I know that because in verse 7 he says, the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. And he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil. Saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it, it cannot be moved. Well, the NIV says, so that it will not topple. What is it? It is the idol. The idol that they're constructing that they believe if they bow down to, it will keep them safe. But what the prophet says, he says, but you Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you who I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. And in verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. It's interesting, what was happening with the nations is that they were calling out to one another and they were strengthening the, the, gold, or the uh, blacksmith so that they could strengthen themselves with their idols. But the Lord says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. And so the Lord promises that he will strengthen them. 
Now, I was reflecting on my own inclination to strengthen my idols, and I was struck by how uh, knee-jerk it is, by how insidious it is. And um, I'm going to try not to touch my face. That's why I'm touching the back of my head here. You see this? This is, I'm going to do this right here. I'm trying to keep my hands like this on purpose. Uh, so uh, I, I want to be a good example to all of you. So on Friday, I made the mistake of going to Costco. I did it. I went to Costco. Um, I, I went, and as soon as I was there, it was chaos. It was like a scene from a movie. Um, there was, when I left, there was a line out the door all the way to the end of the building, and there was a person with a bullhorn letting people in 10 at a time as 10 people went out. They were clicking and, and counting, but I, I went in before the line started, and when I was in there, the anxiety was infectious, and I used that word intentionally. So I walked in, and you could just feel it in the room. People were buzzing around. You couldn't even move. I had my two oldest daughters with me, and I was like, you know, stay close, stay behind me or in front of me. There was no room whatsoever for them even to be any far outside of the cart. That was all we could do. And uh, we weren't there to hoard. We were there to buy food that we needed, right? We shop on the weekends like many of you do. And so we went in there. But the, the energy and the anxiety was so infectious, I found, I found myself immediately into, like, tunnel vision. So I was diving through, and I was starting to get frustrated. And then at one point, I, I felt myself sort of turn to the Lord in my heart and just recognize what was happening around me. And, you know, what was interesting is I took a deep breath, I turned my heart to the Lord, and the funniest thing happened, I actually started to see people's faces. I started to see people's faces, and I started talking to them. Now, there were three lines that led to all of the checkout registers, and all three of those lines started at the checkout registers and went all the way back to the back wall and then went around to the corner to the aisles halfway through. So I had to go through the aisle, and I wrapped around, and by the time that I got halfway up the store heading, uh, I turned around and started talking to the person behind me. And uh, I moved us beyond, hey, let's talk about how scary this is, and isn't that crazy, and did you see this? And just talk to them as a person. Hey, who are you, and where do you live, and do you have kids? And you know, the other thing I noticed is I heard people, customers start yelling at Costco workers, telling them how they should do their job, how this is ridiculous, how things are crazy. And from that point on, I made it a point to look directly in the eye of every Costco worker who I interact with and just said, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. You're doing the best you can. And everyone was taken aback but, but engaged me. And even then, I saw them slow down. Before that, they were like machines checking people out. But then we, in that moment, we engaged in this conversation. And as I was walking out to the person to check off my, make sure I wasn't stealing anything or forgetting anything, I looked at her and I said, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. And she immediately took a deep breath and teared up. And in that moment, began to tell me about how hard it was and how crazy things were. And, and we had just had this moment. But my point was this. My point is this, is that in that moment, I was relying on my preparedness, my strength, how quick I could be, how I could cut in and out. Why? So that I could protect myself. Instead of gaining strength in the Lord and knowing that he's my strength, he is my calm, and then it allowed me to be his witness to others. And so we are his witnesses. We just read in that passage. And I want to say this. There will, there will be ways that God's people will be courageous in loving their neighbors in the midst of this. There will be probably big ways in which the church is going to be able to be courageous in loving their neighbors. But there will also be small ways 
there will be small ways that we can witness to our neighbors by displaying to them that our strength comes from the Lord, not for reinforcing our idols. So that's the first basic truth. The second one is the Lord is with us. And this is actually in 43, 3 through 7. So if you have your Bible, you can turn, flip one page over. And uh, this is uh, the Lord continuing to make his case against idols. And in verse 3 of chapter 43, he says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You see, God's people are in Babylon now at this point, and they're in exile. And it appears God's people are at the mercy of the Babylonians because it seems the Babylonians are the one who called them into this place. But what the Lord says here, he makes it clear that he is still in control and it's actually him who brought them to this place. So he's comforting his people by telling them that he is with them and that he showed them this in the past. He's being very uh, extravagant with his language. Of course, I give Egypt as your ransom. He's talking about the exodus. But then he goes to two other geographical areas even outside of Egypt. He says, I give them an exchange for you too. Why? Because you are precious in my eyes and I love you. And he goes on, I'll give peoples in exchange for you. I'll go everywhere in the earth to find you, to bring you back to myself because I am with you. And he speaks this. He speaks this comfort to his people. He says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, fear not, for I am with you. And so this is a bedrock truth. We must remember that God is with us. It may seem like he's not. It may seem like things are out of control, but surely it seemed like that to Israel when they were taken into Babylon, into exile. And yet God comforts them and says, no, I'm still in control. I am working my plans and purpose. So the Lord is our strength. Let's not reinforce our idols and borrow from their strength, but let's be strengthened by the Lord who is our strength. Let's be reminded that the Lord is with us even though things seem chaotic and uncertain at this point. And then finally, the Lord is our only Savior. This is this final bedrock truth. I'm going to stay in Isaiah 43, and I'm going to jump down to verses 10 through 13. In verse 10, Yahweh says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work And who can turn it back? And I love the way the NIV translates that second part of verse 13. It says, when I act, who can reverse it? So when we see here is that the Lord clearly says, I am your only Savior. And here's the beautiful thing about the saved people of God is that when we rest in God's saving power for us, we then turn and get to be his witnesses 
in the world. He says it twice. I'm your only Savior. You are my witnesses. There's none other that can save. No gods before me. You are my witnesses. And so we're going to have a lot of opportunity to serve each other and our neighbors during this time, which I mentioned. And my prayer is that something amazing happens in our city and all around the world as the church shows up in large and in small ways. New city, but also the church at large. And I know that we all desire this. We all desire that the church will show up. But sometimes I think we can say that in a very abstract way. We can expect the leaders of a particular church or we can expect some abstract sense of the church at large needs to show up. But first, let's reflect, how is God calling us to show up? Do we have elderly neighbors that we can go buy groceries for? Do we have those who have um, compromised immune systems that we know that we can help? Of course, also, we need to obey uh, the best information we have around us about what social distancing, I know we love that phrase now, what that means and how do we abide by that. And all of that is part of how we as the church can show up. But in all of the ways that I'm praying that God uses the church globally and somehow we can put on display and be witnesses of what it's like to be a people who knows that our Savior, our only Savior, is the Lord and how that strengthens us and how we don't have to strengthen our own idols, right? And how we live as though we're a people that God dwells among. All of that will change the way that we help our neighbors and lean in. But let's not forget this, that the church, whatever we mean by that, is not the Savior. The church is not the Messiah. The church is not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. We don't worship an idea in our mind, an abstract idea of a group of people who do good things to others. But we serve out of a strength of a saved people from our Savior, our Lord Jesus. We are strengthened by the grace that is in Lord Jesus. And then when we are the church in the world, we're not pointing people to us or to even a community of people, but to our Savior, the one that brings the community together, the one that the community finds its strength from, and the one whom we, as that community, as the church, whom we serve. And so let's pray for that. Let's pray that Jesus is made much of in this time, in large ways and small ways. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you asking for your mercy, asking for you to strengthen us, point out to us where we are seeking to strengthen our idols rather than resting in you, our only Savior. Help us be responsible. Help us be grateful and loving and kind to all of those who are serving hour after hour all over the globe, serving the sick and the hurting. I pray we would pray for them. We're grateful for their sacrifice and their service. We pray for wisdom for all government officials and all epidemiologists and other specialists who are seeking to give us good guidance uh, as they gather data. So let us not be cynical about that. Let us not be foolish and not heeding the best advice we have. And yet also keep us from trusting in false saviors. Lord, we trust you. We love you. Lead us. Comfort us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.